pray with me, please? Father, we're so humbled by your love and your mercy, your grace. Father, we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. Lord, we do our best to not make a habit of that. Before we knew you, it became a habit. After we've known you, we've tried to make it a habit to not do those things anymore. And I just thank you that none of us deserve your generosity, nor we deserve your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness in our lives, but we're so, so very grateful that we have it in Jesus. So, Father, as we continue to go through the books of Thessalonians into second book, I just pray that you would continue to help us to know that the time is short. And I know the people have been saying that for a long time, but for those who pass without knowing Jesus Christ, the time is too short. So it will always be short. And I just pray that as we study and as we grow in you, that, Father, we would have a sense of urgency about our walks, but with peace and with calm to know that you're still on the throne, Father. You still have everything under control. So help us to know that we need to share with our neighbors. We need to share with our friends. We need to share with our family. And Father, we need to do the best we can to be that beacon of hope to those that we run across. We love you, Lord. We pray for the anointing this morning of not just the teaching, but our ears, our hearts, that we might receive what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's where we're starting this morning. Now in this second letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul's going to be going into greater detail about the second coming of the Lord. Now I don't know about you guys, but I find myself saying Maranatha a lot more these days. Come quickly, Lord. Come and take us home. You know, um, it, things are a little strange, don't you think? A little, a little weird, a little, and a, a little may be the wrong adjective there, but it's, things are, are different. Things are different out there. Now, we've mentioned before, he wants to correct a few misunderstandings that they had regarding the rapture, because some of them thought that they were already in the middle of that rapture. And as a result of that, they were just kind of... Uh, they were kind of quitting, or excuse me, in the middle of that uh, tribulation. And uh, some of the earlier ones, when they found out Jesus was, was coming, they, got, they miscalculated, or they, want, they just hoped it was like right away. And they kind of quit their jobs and just did nothing. It's like, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, wouldn't you go out this afternoon to buy the biggest big screen TV you could find? <laughs> no, we, some of us wouldn't. Some of us, we might. Or buy that new car you've always been waiting on. Leave a few notes inside. Hey, told you it was coming. You should have listened. But here's the point. They had kind of misinterpreted it. And people often say, do you think it's time? You know, do you think these are the end times? Do you think this? Do you think that? And there's, like Pastor Dan has said, there's a lot of pastors out there that really focus on that. And they try to predict the time in which it's going to occur. Now, 
we know as Christians we're supposed to look at the signs and see what's going. We know that the signs are kind of weird nowadays. We know that something's happening. Maybe the birth pangs have already began. But to predict it is guessing. To predict it is guessing. So I know we enjoy those kinds of teachings, but Pastor Dan and I try to uh, soften that up a little bit. Because no matter how much you go to it and you try to figure it out, uh, nobody knows the day nor the hour but the Father alone. Jesus doesn't even know the exact day or the hour or the time. We just know the, the seasons of that. And I joke around a lot of times, if you predict a day, Jesus, that God's going to just move it, you know? Because no, nobody's, nobody's going to know. So I believe our time is better spent hearing the promises. Knowing what God has told us, knowing about his love, knowing about his grace, knowing about his mercy. Because if we have that, then we have peace about no matter what's going on. We have peace. Now, I'm not saying that things aren't rough or that aren't going to get rougher. What I'm saying is that if you have the peace that passes all understanding, it doesn't matter. Because individually, you're going to have that peace that passes that understanding. And it's going to be okay. No matter how it's going to be, it's going to be okay. That's one thing that a Christian has that a lot of people do not have, and that's that peace. They're, they're so caught up in it all that they worry about absolutely everything. And I've, and I've thought about this sometime in my life, and that is if you knew, right, if, if you knew that you were terminal and you had a week what do you think your mind would be on that week? How do you think you would live that week? Think you would live with joy? Or do you think your mind would be so consumed with it that you might lose a bit of that joy? So my point is this, whether it's a week, whether it's a month, whether it's a year, whether it's five years, or whether it's ten years, live as though you're God's kid. Live as though... You have everything because in Jesus Christ, we do have everything. God would not want us to live in fear. He would want us to live in the assurance of his mercy and his love. So that's kind of where we pick up the story. Now, before we get into the actual teaching, I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you ever thought much about identification? You're going, okay, pastor, where are you going with this? But have you thought much about identification? When you're born, what do they give you? What do they, what's that piece of paper they write up? Why? Have you ever thought about that? Taxes. I mean, who cares if you're born? <laughs> right? Who cares if you're born? Who cares if you die? Now, here's another one. How about a social security number? I didn't even know now you have to give a kid a social security number when they're born. I didn't know that. My wife said, yeah, I had to do it with the boys. And I'm going, I didn't know that. I got mine at about, well, I don't know, 13, 14, some 12, something like that when we started working. But why do you need a social security number? Why do you need that kind of an, of an ID? Same, same thing. Same thing. How about a driver's license? You know, it's kind of funny because we're all paranoid about getting on the internet and somebody finding out something. 
They already know you. <laughs> You've already given everybody that information. It's, it's, it's already there. It's already out there. So there's a whole lot of identification there, things that identify us. But Paul's going to be talking about a different kind of identity this morning. A different kind of identification that belongs to Christians. So Father, may you give us the grace and mercy of Jesus this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but I want my faith to grow exceedingly. And let's be honest, I think even if we are pastors, even if we are elders or deacons or just people who really love Jesus and we have a daily devotional, sometimes we grow a tremendous amount in a short period of time and there's other times we coast and maybe other times when we're not quite doing what we should. It's kind of this... Uh, wave, if you will, that happens in our life. But I think the goal of every Christian is to have our faith growing exceedingly. So, Pastor, why did you pause here? Here's the question I have to ask myself, and maybe the question I need to ask everyone else, and that is, is there anything impeding my growth? Is my growth still exceeding? Am I still in the word? Am I still in prayer? Am I still loving Jesus? Do I still make it the priority in my life? Am I still growing exceedingly? I think that's a, that's a fair question. And I believe that as Christians, we will be growing our entire life. It's a marathon. It's not a 50-yard dash. It's something we will be learning and growing our entire life. So he says, it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards one another. What does that mean? What does it look like to love one another? We can say it. We say it all the time. I love you. I love you. We should love one another. What does love really look like? You know, there's different versions of love, and the Greeks had three of them, but I think we've invented a few more along the way. But what's, what's the true love of Christ? What, is it, what does it really look like? Well, look at his life. Look at who he was and what he did and how he handled himself. What kind of a, of a man was he? What kind of a gentleman was he? What kind of a, of a guy was he where he didn't let his human side dictate who he was. He got upset a few times, but he handled it in the right way. That you grow and you love one another. That's always a challenge, isn't it? To love people you don't like. <laughs> There's always somebody. Those of you that are happily married and been so for 20 or 30 or 40 years, there's still days you don't love that other person. 
Well, you know what I mean. You, you do. It's deeper than that. But there's times when you'd rather they just go in another room and not do anything. You don't say anything. Well, why don't you go out shopping? Or why don't you go in the garage and tinker around? I'd just rather not hear you right now. Love's not an easy thing. Love is extremely sacrificial. And love is not finding the perfect mate. Love is finding the person God's assigned to you or given to you or graced you with or blessed you with and letting it change you. You guys have heard me say over and over again, marriage is a covenant of being a servant. We don't think of marriage that way, do we? We think of marriage of, man, now my, all my needs are going to be met. There's going to be a hot meal on the table when I get home. I'm going to be in the recliner. She's going to bring me my uh, slippers. And, you know, I get control of the remote. <clears throat> this is the, this, life is good. And then you get married and find out that they were thinking the same thing. <laughs> and you find that really what makes it work is loving each other enough to serve each other. And not because you have to, because you want to. Because you care about that individual. Now he's talking to these guys and saying, man, the way you guys love each other is pretty astounding. <clears throat> I pray that for us, individually in our homes, that we learn to genuinely love each other. That the children learn to appreciate and love their parents. And the parents with the kids. And, and as a church, that we take a little time maybe to get to know other people, to live in such a way that once in a while you can get in your pocket and hand $20 to somebody or, or whatever because they need it or because God just tells you, hey, go, go do this. That's the kind of Jesus we have, one that gave and gave and gave and gave until it hurt, and it really hurt. He gave his entire life for us. So in verse 4, it says, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith, now here it is, <clears throat> in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. What has been your greatest persecution and tribulation this week? Somebody didn't bring you those slippers. Somebody didn't have that meal on the table. The guys didn't help clean up or even clean up their own messes. Your patience and faith in all of your persecutions. And when we're talking about persecution here, we're talking about persecution. Not the thermostat being wrong. Not it being too hot or not it being cold. We're talking about true persecution that was going on. So Paul expresses his joyous heart over finding that they're growing and they're maturing and they're developing and they love one another. Paul is so proud of them, he kind of brags about them like a proud father. But keep in mind, please keep in mind that while this was going on, while Paul was probably writing this letter, Christians were being beaten and killed. Now, if you're like most of us, we do really well in our faith and our patience and all that Christian stuff. 
when we're on the mountaintop, when the bills are paid and things are okay. We, we do really well with that. But how do you handle loss? How do we handle when the check's not in the mail? How do we handle when you work all day on something and it gets destroyed or it doesn't turn out the way you want it to turn out? Or you put your faith and trust in someone, maybe even because they're a Christian, and they demolish that faith and that trust. How do we handle those things? How do we handle it when it feels like the world is turning against us? That's a hard one, isn't it? Now, I'm not asking you to pick a side, and I'm not picking a side, but do we, do we gather arms? If you decide to do that, I would support you. If you decide to be a peaceful individual, I support you in that. I believe that is an individual choice, but all I'm saying is when it hits the fan, we have to look and say, what kind of man am I? What kind of a woman am I? What kind of a Christian am I? Is my faith deep? If Paul looked into my life, would he give me these commendations? These guys are suffering. And Paul almost identifies them as Christians because they're suffering. A new identity. A new identity. In 2 Timothy 3.12 it says, Yes, and all, please, please understand that all, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Wow, thanks, Lord. Now, if you don't want to suffer persecution or get hurt in any way, you can, you can uh, just pretend you're not a Christian. Or you can go with the world and do whatever the world does. Try to fit in, be popular, make money, do whatever you might want to do. Don't offend anybody. You know, that, that's a biggie these days, right? Good luck on that one. Don't offend anyone. And maybe, just maybe, you might follow. You might have a lot of follows on Instagram. Maybe. But the first time you say anything that's got any value or meaning, they're probably going to kick you off. That's just our world. That's what we, that's what we live in. I would like to tell you that that's going to get easier. But I'm not so sure. Not according to the book of Revelation. It might get a little tougher. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. New identity. Now, folks, I'm not, I'm not standing up and telling you that I've mastered this. I have not mastered this. I still get bummed out sometimes. The other day, I was working on something in my shop, right? And, and it turned out all wrong. Right? When, I was, when I was done, I had, I had made it wrong. I had done it wrong. Half a day or more. So now I have to turn around. I have to make another one. I have to make it right the rest of the day. 
And I'm thinking, by the way, the one that I had made wrong, I tried for another hour and a half to make it right. (laughs) And it was still wrong. And it didn't dawn on me until later in the day, and I said, Jesus, did you do that? Did, did, were you telling me to just make another one at the beginning and I wouldn't have lost two hours trying to make the old one right? Boy, is there a lesson in that. Trying to make our old life right. Trying to make the mistakes right. Trying to correct those things and, and make what's inherently wrong into something that's right. Sometimes you just got to start over. Sometimes you just have to start over. And you know what? I've come to the conclusion that's exactly what he was doing. Because I had to make a new one anyway. That's exactly what he was doing. Teaching me a valuable lesson so I could sit up here and humiliate myself in front of all of you guys today. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let your patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It wasn't until late in the evening I could say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And I could say, Jesus, thank you that you were telling me, and I'm sorry I didn't listen. Because you see, if all things work together for those who love the Lord, then God's always working even in the small things. And he's doing these things in our life for a reason, to deepen our faith. It's not usually just, oh, it was just a mistake. I'm stupid. It's not always that. Sometimes it's God intervening in our life and saying, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to show you something. Okay. I'm sure that you've all heard the Christmas story of children getting coal in their stocking instead of candy and toys. The candy was for the good little boys and the coal was for the bad little boys and girls. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather have diamonds or would you rather have coals? Guess what? They're made out of the same stuff. They're made out of the same stuff. The only difference between the two of them is what happens to them. The heat, the two main things that happen to the coal that turns it into diamond is what? Heat and pressure. But I don't like heat and I don't like pressure. Well, then you're forfeiting something greater for something lesser. Now, honestly, I don't think any of us like the heat and pressure of trials and disappointments. But that's what grows us. That's what changes us. That's what makes us more like Jesus. So perhaps if we would maybe not complain about it so much, but turn it around and say, Lord, I thank you that you love me. 
What father doesn't discipline his children? I think it's somewhere there in the Bible. But a parent who loves their children, they discipline their children. That's what God does to us. He teaches us. In case there's any question, we're not perfect. We make a lot of mistakes. Even if we've been in the Lord for a very long time, we still make mistakes. And our Father continually is putting on a little heat and pressure so that we can become more like Him. We sing about it all the time. Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. But then when He begins to do it, we're going, that's uncomfortable. It is. It is uncomfortable. Okay, look at verse 5. He says, this thing that's going on with their faith and their love and everything else, he goes, which is manifest evidence. It's manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance upon those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you think God is so benevolent and loving and good, he is to his kids. But if you think he is that good to everybody in the world who rejects him and blasphemes his name, there will be a judgment for that. Now, I don't want to get into a hellfire and brimstone thing here, but guys, sometimes lives hang in the balance. And, and, and sometimes hitting it softly doesn't do it. Sometimes we need to be hit right between the eyes with the fact that if we're not on the side of Jesus Christ, guess whose side we're on? And there's no midpoint in, in between. We either live in God's world or we live in Satan's world. It's just as simple as that. I believe that verse 6 there He's talking about the judgment. Guys, I can't emphasize enough. You can't just pick whatever God you want. You can't just take what's behind door number three. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. If it were not so, he would have told us that there was another way. If you have given Jesus Christ your life, when you stand before him, Jesus stands with you saying, that one's mine, Dad. That one's mine. But if we're not Christians, we're going to stand before him and give an account for us saying, no, I didn't want him in my life. Well, there's been a place prepared for you also. Manifest evidence. Some of your scriptures, some of your Bibles will say there's plain evidence. Plain evidence that Jesus is returning. Man, I hope he comes soon. Hasn't every young parent said that, Lord? Come soon. Come before I have to raise my kids. Come and get us so I can have one of those little hands in each hand and 
We can all go together. The fact that they were suffering for believing in Jesus was proof of their faith. That's what Paul's telling them. Why would you suffer for something you don't believe in? Why would you go through all of that if you really don't believe in it? You wouldn't. You might for a little while, but when it really gets hot, when it really gets tough, you're going to go, okay, okay, okay. But why would you give your life for something that you do not firmly believe in? And he goes on to say that those who are persecuting them for their faith, for being Christians, are going to have their day. They're going to have their day of judgment. Now, I'm one of those guys, I like it when the good guy wins on a show. Right? If you're watching a movie or whatever the show, you like it when the good guy wins. Well, the good guy's Jesus and he does win. But unfortunately, there's something inside of me too that when the bad guy gets his just desserts, I like that too. Like he deserves it. I mean, can you, you can be a passive Christian, right? And you can hate somebody on the screen so much that if they get shot, you're going, it's about time. <laughs> Horrible, isn't it? But judgment belongs to the Lord. He's the one. I'm so glad that we, we would be lousy at that job. Because we don't have enough love, we don't have enough grace, we don't have enough mercy, we don't have enough foresight. We would be ruled by emotions, just like we are watching a good, a good show. That, that's a good show when they got you involved in it, right? That's what they, they've done that on purpose. But God says, vengeance is his, I will repay. Guys, make no mistake, no matter what you believe, if you believe in a soft God that accepts everybody, go ahead, you can. You have that right, but you're wrong. It's just as simple as that. So you've got to wake up at some point in time and say, I need to read about this. I need to look at the other side of this. I've been so convinced that there is no God that I just brush it off. You've got to wake up and look at the other side of this. Read this thing. Start in the book of John. Just begin to read and you will be convinced if you read the word of God. That Jesus is real. Now here's the thing. In order for God to be completely righteous, he must judge sin. Now, your mind's probably going to all the wicked sins of the world. Don't do that. That's not good. But here's my point. It means missing the mark. Who's the mark? Louder. Jesus is the mark. He's the bullseye. So sin is just simply missing the mark. It's an old archery term. It's missing the mark. It's missing what Jesus has provided for us. Now, if God was completely righteous, mustn't he judge the sin? If you're a parent and you tell your child, pick up your room, clean it up and you go back in half an hour and it's not picked up 
maybe your love and grace and mercy kicks in and you go back in in another 15 to 20 minutes it's still not picked up if you go back in in another 15 or 20 minutes and you go I'll just forget it I'll do it myself you've made a vital mistake because you've showed your child there is no consequence for missing the mark God, Jesus couldn't be God if he wasn't just, and he has to judge righteousness, and he has to judge sin. He can't just say, oh yeah, my son died, but you know, don't worry about that. God says, I sent him to the cross to forgive you of your sins, to exchange your lousy life for a good one, to uh, forgive all of your sins, and you just blew it off. But, but, no, don't worry about it, so did most of the world, so he... It's okay. No, it's not okay. In order for him to be God, he must be completely righteous. And for him to be completely righteous, he must judge sin. Now, while he's judging the world for missing Jesus, while he's judging the world for missing and disbelieving in Jesus, he's also going to bring reward upon those who have lived their life in him. At least one of those rewards is going to be rest. Now, if you're in your 20s, you don't know what rest is. Well, you know it here, but your body keeps up with you, so you're pretty good with rest. At least when my kids were younger, they didn't even like to take a nap. We got to take a nap. Now, if somebody says, John, go take a nap, I'm like, yes. <laughs> you get a little older and you're like, I, yeah, I, I can take it. I'll rest. In Revelation, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and you avenge our blood on earth? Uh, excuse me, you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. In other words, they're crying out and saying, God, how long can this wicked world go on? How long will you persevere? How long will you tolerate them? And then in Revelation 14, 13, it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, he says, says the Holy Spirit, that they may, what? That they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. What does that mean? I thought it wasn't about works. Well, it's not, not really. Salvation is not about works. Works is what you do after you get saved. But not the kind that you do because you think you need it to get saved. It's what you do because you love that person. You love the person of Jesus Christ. So you want to do things that honor Him and glorify Him. Lord, how long? Have you said that recently? <laughs> Lord, how long? How bad does it have to get? Now, we know there's only two sides to this, right? God and the devil. The devil seems to have a lot of power right now. Right and wrong's got reversed. Truth and lie has got reversed. 
Everything has gotten reversed. And if you say anything about it, you're a hater. Even though it's insanity. <laughs> you know, you want to say, you're crazy. You're nuts. You're not even logical. You're not even thinking. But if you do that, of course, you're a hater. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Well, yeah, even if it's wrong. But do you want to be entitled and entitled to your own opinion and die in your sins and miss Jesus because you were so entitled? Or do you want to know the truth? I can tell you this, there's so many lies out there now, it's hard to tell the truth from a lie. But I've never found a lie in this. Jesus Christ has never lied to me in my entire life. But there's lies all around us. I'm looking forward to that rest. I don't know about you guys. To be able to rest in Jesus. And that flaming fire that he was talking about, you know, that's the final judgment upon the face of the earth. This time it will be by fire. Look at verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You'll be separated. If we don't give our hearts to Jesus Christ, you will be separated from God. Well, what is God? God is all things pure. God is all things holy. God is all things good. And look what's happening in our world when the other side begins to look like they're winning a little bit. How much have you lost over the last two years? Three years. We've been told when we can come and go. We've been told what we need to do, how we need to do it. And we're powerless. At least we think we're powerless. But God's not. God is not powerless. In Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19, it says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and I now tell you even crying, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. For whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Guys, have you even thought about most of our TV shows lately? Very few of them are about humility. Very few of them are about love, unless it's self-love. Very few of them are about laying down your life for another person and being a servant. They're all about being the top dog. They're all about making millions Teachers are quitting teachers to join the OnlyFans. And so they're prostituting themselves, selling their bodies to make a lot of money. And they do make a lot of money. Some of them go from such a small amount of money per year or even a month into making millions. But see, that's, that's the driving factor. The driving factor is the money, not what's right and not what's wrong. It's about being popular and making a lot of money. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, it said, we've already took a, taken a look at this, it says, for when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Peace and safety. We're not hearing much about peace and safety right now, are we? But you are, with campaigning going on, you are hearing about how fantastic things are, aren't you? Aren't things wonderful right now? Things are awesome. Got a job to do, and it's being done. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to change your political persuasion. I'm just saying, sometimes you've got to wake up and say, that's not, that's not translating. I mean, we're all fairly educated people. They taught us in grade school and high school how to, you know, truth in advertising, that's gone. But do you remember having to learn some of that in high school about truth in advertising? There are certain things they could say, certain things they could not say because it couldn't be proven, so they could be sued for. Now they can say anything they want. God's coming back. I hope sooner than later. But which side of that are you going to be on? While it's true that sin separates man from God, it's ultimately not sin that sends man into everlasting destruction. You know what it is? Pride. God forgives sin. He went to the cross to forgive sin. It's not sin that keeps us out of eternity. What keeps us out is our arrogance and our pride to think we're, we know more than God does, that there is no God. That's what keeps us out. If you look at 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, And the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That judgment is for not accepting Jesus Christ. He sent his son into the world so that we could be saved. And that if we would believe in him, we wouldn't perish but have that everlasting life. So to turn our back on that is to say, I reject the only way into heaven. I don't want it. I don't need it. Man, I'd much rather have Jesus standing next to me and say, yeah, I know this one's not much, but he's mine, Dad. I'd much rather have Jesus standing next to me doing that than me up there trying to prove what a great guy I am and why he should let me in. Because that's going to wash. But since people don't want him as Lord and Savior, they will be banished from his presence, the presence of God and from the glory of his power. After all, that's the way they lived their life. That's what they wanted. I want you to think about this logically. Why would God make you go to heaven when your entire life you rejected him? He's going to give you what you've wanted and what you've lived your entire life. But you're going to find out it's not going to be what you wanted it to be. But we made the choice. We made the choice. So guys, it is a willing choice. Look at verse 10. Now when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, 
because our testimony among you was believed. He's talking about the church there. We came, we shared, you believed, you got saved, and you're enduring. Matthew 5.31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. I didn't write this. God wrote this. John 17.10, And all mine are yours and all yours are mine and I am glorified in them. God's glorified in us when we give Him our lives and when we live for Him. Now, guys, please understand my heart. Some of us go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, maybe even throw in a few Wednesdays and a few Christmas and Easter's. And if we were asked if we love Jesus, we would say yes. But the reality of it is, often there are hidden sins. There are things in the lives of people that they just won't give up. God can take those away if we will allow him to, but we won't allow him to because we like it and we'll continue to do those things and it continues to separate us from the Lord. Am I God's? From his perspective, I'm his. But from my perspective, is he mine? Do I view him as a loving father? Do I view him as my savior? Do I view him as one who went to the cross to gave his life to save me? when I was still sinning against him. I know that he loves his children, but do I love my dad? For the Christians, it's going to be a great day of worship in the presence of the Lord. Future peek into heaven from Revelation chapter 4 gives us an idea of, of what it's going to be like. In Revelation 4 verse 1, it says, All after these things, excuse me, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a, a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one on that throne. And he who sat on that throne was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around his throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The churches that are in the book of Revelation. But let me go on with this. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of that throne and around the throne were four living creatures, eyes full of front and in the back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature was like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, having uh, six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. 
whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast those crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist, and they were created. We were created for worship. We were created to worship Jesus Christ. And guys, that's just the beginning as we get a glimpse into heaven. Why is Paul telling them all this? He wants them to know and understand that they are representing Jesus through the middle of those tribulations. And he reminds them what they have to look forward to, how wonderful it's going to be. Verse 11, therefore we also pray always that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work and faith and power. Are you worthy? No, but we are. Are we worthy in the flesh? No. But Jesus makes you worthy. Man, how cool is that? doesn't matter what kind of background you have. It doesn't matter your lineage. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic condition you're in. None of that matters. What matters is if you are His. If you've given your life to Him. Are we worthy? No, not in the flesh. Not without Him. Are we worthy in Him? You bet. I can do all things through Christ. He qualifies us. It's him that does the qualification. And I'm going to close here with Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you're called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in hopes of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So if you want to know which religion is right, none of them. Which one's the right one? None of them. There's only one right there's only one righteous, and that's Jesus. Calvary Chapel won't get you to heaven. The Roman Catholic Church won't get you to heaven. The Nazarene Church won't get you to heaven. The Baptist Church won't get you to heaven. None of them will get you to heaven, but Jesus will. If Jesus is missing in any of those anywhere, then you're missing the mark. It needs to be in Jesus Christ. And you know what? As we give our hearts to Jesus, we become, we walk differently. We speak differently. We talk differently. God changes us from the inside out. In 2 Thessalonians 1.12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray in your name that, Lord, you would convict and convince us 
that you're the only way. You're the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through you. It's not a multiple choice. Help us, Father, to live for you and in you and through you. So with your heads bowed, I'm going to ask this question. Are you qualified? Are you counted worthy? Well, I hope that I've made it pretty obvious that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if this is your church. It doesn't matter which church you were raised in. It doesn't matter the sins that you've done in the past. What matters is if you give it to to Jesus and you genuinely want him in your heart that's what matters that's what God's going to look at that's what's going to qualify us for eternity so if you're here this morning and you have not given your heart to the Lord I would consider it a great honor to pray with you if that's what you desire is there anybody here this morning that would say pastor I don't know if I'm saved I may not have even heard, you may not have even heard this before, but if you're here this morning and you say, I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt when I walk out these doors that I've given my heart to Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here this morning who would say, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus this morning? Here's my second prayer. If you have given him your heart in the past, but you've been the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter and you've walked away, we need to remember he didn't walk away, we walked away. If you have things in your life that you feel bad about and you need to clean them up and you've maybe walked away from God, I would love to pray with you also. Is there anybody here? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes. Father, may we know that Heaven rejoices when one soul is saved. And we know that from the prodigal son that when he came back home, instead of being ridiculed, his brother didn't like it much, but his dad went down and met him at the crossroads and killed the fatted calf and had a barbecue because his son was home. So we know that when we come home and we say, Lord, I don't want to live this way anymore, we know that you rejoice in having us do that, that we come home. Father, I pray for each person who raised their hand that whatever it is, whatever that thing is, you'd give them the strength and the power to be able to overcome it in you. Lord, we need to always make sure that it's in you because we can't do it on our own. And I pray that they would know that they are forgiven in you. Lord, may you help us to walk in a way that's worthy. worthy. And Maranatha, we look forward to You're returning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said...